My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, everybody, and Happy New Year. Uh, welcome to Our Sunday School. Uh, this is week 147 in our series in the Gospel of Mark. Yes, it's comical to me too at times. Um, I am excited about passing a minor milestone today uh, in today's handout, and I hope you kept it from last time because uh, my handouts that were in the pulpit disappeared uh, over the holidays, so I don't know who wanted a nine-page stapled handout <laughs> going into the intricacies of Greek in Mark chapter 14, but God love them. Um, so there's that. But uh, we are in Mark chapter 14, uh, so we'll... We'll actually start today, uh, I want to read the text, and then we'll ask our question that we ask each week, because I want to kind of jog your memory about what God's been doing in Mark chapter 14. So I'm going to read uh, Mark chapter 14, we'll start in verse 32, and read to the end of the chapter of Mark 14. I get excited every time I uh, start on Mark 14, because I, in my hard copy of the Bible, there's 15, and then 16, and then that's it. And it's just so incredibly close. So Mark chapter 14. <clears throat> and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs, from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed them at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And as he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire... 
Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men, these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Mark chapter 14. Uh, I see Pastor Brian probably half of the Sundays uh, that I teach immediately before Sunday school begins. And he will usually ask me two questions. One, uh, how's the family? And two, what, what are you teaching on today? And uh, he asked the first, and I answered, and he asked the second. And uh, I got to tell him, I think today is the Christological apex of the Gospel of Mark. And he got really excited. And he asked me, how many people in your class are going to get really excited about that? I said, well, they will when I explain to them what Christological apex is. But... Uh, but we'll go from there. So I am quite excited about today's text because we have been leading up to in the Gospel of Mark, like when is Jesus going to just say, yes, I'm him. Like it's, it's actually all about me. This is who I am and I'm going to make this public. And it's actually in today's text. So with that as a bit of backdrop, uh, we'll ask our question, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? And I'll say uh, good morning and welcome to our friends online. So the Greggs in uh, North Carolina, hey friends, uh, Julie, my mom, and Miss Nancy Miller. Good morning, everybody. Thanks. Thanks for being here. So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? I'm sorry, I got totally distracted, Miss Sherry. I thought that was a vodka bottle for a second. And I was going to be impressed and confused at the exact same time. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Awesome. It's water for those of you online. Yes. It's, it's right. <laughs> Sorry. Happy New Year. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Awkward joke, segue into the next thing, right? That's, the, that's as good as you can do. 
So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? That's awesome. That Jesus' faithfulness in sticking with the Father's plan, humbling himself to stick with the Father's plan, and not uh, not invoking his right to say, this is, this is wrong, this is inappropriate, but actually confessing to what they've been trying to get him on for years. Like this is, I watch, we watch several different TV shows at our house, and one of them is a... Uh, kind of a multi-year look at a district attorney going after a very rich guy. And uh, <laughs> an income Sean. There you go. Right on cue, buddy. Um, Bobby Axelrod himself. There you go. And, uh, and, and it's this, the longer you chase after somebody, the bigger a deal it gets. Like, it's not a, like, well, we'll get, we'll ne- we're never going to get him that desire. None of this. This pent-up rage and frustration with Jesus has only been building and building and building. And as I've mentioned several times, he is completely and totally in charge of both the pace that this is building, the sequence of events that is occurring, and their response. Like, it's just, (laughs) it is a masterful control. We don't often see the director in the shot, but the director is in the shot here. Right. Uh, all right, so what else? Anybody else? What is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Yes, Dave? Well, I keep coming back around to where, uh, and, and some stood up and bore false witness. Yeah. But in the bearing of false witness in 59, it says, yet about uh, this, their testimony did not agree. So uh, when the truth starts getting bent around, Absolutely. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's actually stunning they couldn't make the case earlier. I, I, you know, right? I mean, this is just this is exhibit after exhibit after exhibit after exhibit, um, which makes you wonder if the people testifying were lying, who were they not bringing as evidence? The people who were actually changed, the people who were actually healed, right? Because. They were, on average, itching to go and tell the truth throughout the Gospels. Jesus had to actively hold them back. No, 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 no. It's not, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. Right? I, I've always wondered, you know, if, 
if Jesus put out the call, I don't know how you would have gotten word out quickly, but if he put out the call, all right, everybody that I heal that would testify like I'm the Messiah, y'all just come on down, let's, let's testify. Right. The, the crushing wave of humanity that would have showed up, I mean, it would have just been unbelievable. But that's not what he chose to do. So that's not where we are. All right, let's take a look at our text. So last week we started, uh, last week, uh, three weeks ago, uh, we looked at uh, verses 53 uh, through 58. So we had gotten through, they led Jesus uh, to the high priest. Uh, the chief priests and the elders and the scribes are there. Uh, Peter follows at a distance into the courtyard. We see Peter kind of doing his thing in verse 54. Uh, verse 55, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against him. So they're pulling in witnesses. They're pulling in witnesses. They found uh, none uh, so, because many bore false witness against him. Their testimony didn't agree what they've just talked about. Some stood up for bore false witness against him saying, we heard him say, I'll destroy this temple that's made with hands. In three days, I will build another. Notice what, they, what they're focusing on is the... The beautiful uh, building and not the beautiful Messiah, right? Because it had become much more to them about... The, the high priest knew how to spin up the people that were around him. And it was attack the system, not attack the Messiah. These are two totally different responses. Because if you want to get somebody riled up, you go after what they really care about. And he's... He's building this up. So I'll build up another not made with hands. This is always talking about us. And then we get to verse 59, which is where we'll start today. Yet about this, their testimony did not agree. So probably the Greek word that I've talked uh, second or third most about in the entire Gospel of Mark, this word testimony, is the Greek word marturia. Uh, it's where we get our English word martyr, uh, to die on behalf of what you have said. Uh, this was the definition that came into play after the first few Christians died because of what they testified to. At this point in history, it just meant to testify in court, to give testimony. So about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest, now remember, what's our setting? Where are we right now? In the high priest's courtyard, right? So he kind of is his, his front yard, so to speak, right? And this is a big place. This is a place enough for uh, the Sanhedrin to gather. So the high priest, and does anybody remember, you know his name? It's not mentioned in Mark's gospel, but does anybody know his name? Caiaphas, that's his name, right? So this is Caiaphas that we're talking about. And I'm grateful that we're, we actually get Caiaphas mentioned. One of the reasons that names are mentioned in the gospel is to peg down specific times because there were rotations of priests and high priests, and this is all set up in uh, the time of David, the king. But uh, this is Caiaphas, the high priest, stood in the midst, and asked Jesus. So here we go. So I'm like, this is, this is the courtroom showdown with the chief of one side versus the chief of the other side. And, and just remember, if you are with Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, the Father is your Father. If you are against Jesus, who is your Father? The devil. So don't miss the contrast here of the chief of the religious elite 
is demonstrating by his opposition to Jesus that his father is actually the devil. Like, what is going on? I mean, the, the whole system is broken. So the high priest asks Jesus, and then in the ESV, there's a word missing. Uh, there's the word lego, and it's a present active participle. And in, in other translations, uh, it'll, it'll, be, it'll look something like this. The high priest asks Jesus, saying... And this present active participle means he asked him repeatedly. So he repeatedly asked this question, have you no answer to make? The Greek is a little bit awkward. You could translate it this way. No answer? None? No answer? None? So now, when would you have asked this question? It makes sense that you would ask this question. A witness comes up, no answer? None? Another witness comes up, no answer? None? Another witness comes up, no answer. So he's, if you've seen a courtroom drama, you know that lawyers can sometimes build this momentum with the jury by playing these questions over and over again. This is what he's doing here. So no answer, none. What is it that these men testify against you? Now, look at this word for testify against you. This is katamoterio. So that... That second part, marturio, is the same Greek word as for testimony above. The kata is the preposition that means down or against. So this is the, I'm going to testify against you. So what are they doing? What is it that these are testifying against you? In verse 61, but he remained silent. And the silent is an imperfect, which means he repeatedly did this. So Caiaphas would ask the question, Jesus would remain silent. Caiaphas would ask the question, Jesus would remain silent. Caiaphas would ask the question, Jesus would remain silent. How infuriatingly frustrating is it when you want somebody to just answer the dead blame question? Right? Like, just answer the question, and he won't do it. He just absolutely will not do it. Because this is not the question he wants to answer. Don't forget, he's in charge the entire time. The absolute entire time. This is not the question yet. He remained silent and made no answer. Now, if you want, if you want a really cool Bible study about the themes through the Gospel of Mark, you look up each word in the Gospel of Mark where the word silent shows up, this word for remain silent. We're going to do it real quick. So the first one is Mark 3, 4. Mark 3, 4. So this is Jesus teaching in the synagogue. And this is, the, this is one of the first few times that we see the enemies on the periphery peppering him with questions. And the question comes in, is it uh, he, he heals, right? The man with the withered hand. And Jesus asks them, he asks the crowd, his enemies included. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or kill? But they were silent because they knew he had them, right? They, they, they're beat. They're absolutely beat. Either way they ask, either way they answer this question, they are beat. That's the first time the word silent shows up, that Jesus is demonstrating his teaching authority. Second time is 439. So they're out on the... On the uh, the Sea of Galilee, he says, peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great 
calm. This calm is the silent. So the first is his teaching provokes this profound silence. The second is his ability to heal, to, to do miracles provokes this profound silence. The next one is in 934. So this is when they came, in verse 33, when they came to Capernaum, he was in the house, he asked them, this is the disciples here, what were you discussing on the way? Verse 34, but they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So we see this shame in wanting to usurp Jesus and what his rightful place was, because they understood that this is actually... We probably shouldn't tell the boss what we were talking about. This is not a good thing. Right? This is not okay. And then the next to last is 1048. This is Bartimaeus, who is just this unbridled bundle of joy in the middle of Mark's gospel. I, I can't wait to meet Bartimaeus one day. I bet he's still jumping up and down. Verse uh 47, when he heard, and Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 48, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Right? So don't bother Jesus. Don't bother Jesus. Isn't that what he's doing? It's actually exactly what he was doing. So we see this beautiful example of all these things that Jesus is doing through this word silent. And then the last time it's used in Mark's gospel is when Jesus himself is silent because this is not the question that he wants to answer. So he remained silent and he made no answer. And this is a this is an odd Greek construction for this no answer because the word no shows up before the word answer and it shows up after the word answer. Most of the time the no's show up back to back and you get these double negatives and it's this super powerful punch but this is before and after which is a bit odd. I, I I am firmly putting this into the I don't understand that bucket. So, but it's it's a lot of no. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, I, I think there's probably a million reasons why Jesus did this. We're probably aware of three. It's like my favorite John Piper quote, you know, God's doing 10,000 things in your life at any given time, and you're, you'll be having a great day if you understand two of them. You know, it's like, cool. <laughs> yeah, lots of good reasons here. So the high priest is not going to quit because the high priest is passionate about this. So he keeps going again. The high priest, this is the singular, this is, this, this is the one guy, Caiaphas, asked him, Jesus, and then there's three Greek words that are skipped in the ESV, and saying to him, which in, like if you pull out your New King James Version, you'll see the phrase, saying to him, are you the Christ? <coughs> now, 
If you have been paying attention, or if you have not, uh, in our study of the Gospel of Mark, um, Mark makes it abundantly clear. Let's go back to Mark 1.1. Mark makes it abundantly clear what his position on Jesus is. And I, this is one of the things I love about Mark. You don't have to wonder about Mark. You're like, well, I wonder what Mark believes on this. No. Mark 1.1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There you go. So we, we have established the boundaries. The theological framework is set. Uh, we have declared Jesus to be the Messiah and the Son of God in one sentence. That's pretty good. <laughs> Succinct to the point, we are crystal clear. Uh, if we look at 829, Mark 829. Which one of the disciples told Jesus, you are the Christ? Peter, and who we think is narrating to Mark? What Mark is going to be writing down, Peter, yes. So, so not only do we get the record of Peter declaring that you are the Christ in chapter 8, we also got it so crystal clear that Peter, I would imagine, said this enough to Mark that Mark led off this way, right? The Holy Spirit is going to hit very directly, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And then we come to the last time that it shows up, 1532 in Mark's Gospel. Let's look at verse 31 first. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him. So Jesus is on the cross at this point. The chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another saying, now before I read what they said, who's there with Caiaphas in the courtyard? These people, right? So these people saw the mock trial Hours before this, and this is what they're saying. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And this is so sad. Like their one biggest job was to be on the lookout for the Messiah. Like this was their the religious structure's most important job was like, we're looking for the Messiah. We're looking for the Messiah. We're looking for the Messiah. Yes, we're going to keep all the Old Testament, but there are lots of commands about be on the lookout for the Messiah. He's going to do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. I mean, it's just this incredible long list. So when Caiaphas asked Jesus in Mark 14, 61, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed, and if you are not familiar with the, uh, uh, the concept of a um, uh, circumlocution, I think is the way it's said, make sure, circumlocution, um, the, the Jews had an intense fear of doing several very specific things. One of them was using God's name outside of a way in which it should be used. So just in case, they had all these euphemisms for God that they'd substitute in so they wouldn't take God's name in vain. So even in the midst of this particular, like, you're killing me, Sean. Even in the midst of this particular question, 
He's texting me. This is what's going on. Even in the midst of this particular question, the high priest is still putting on this facade, if you will, to the chief priests and the Sanhedrin, trying to look very righteous by using this little phrase, the blessed. So, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And here we go. This is where it happens. Jesus pulls back and shows them who he actually is. Now, Jesus said, this is an aorist active indicative. Um, You can translate this in English a couple of different ways, but fundamentally it only happens one time. So he gets asked these other questions. Do you have an answer? 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 Silent, 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 silent. The high priest asked him this, and Jesus answered one time, ego I may. This is the, the Greek phrase that is the I am that the high priest should have and did lose his ever-loving mind at this. And like it, it, he went full theater mode, right? Uh, Caleb plays these video games sometimes, and if you do enough good, you get extra energy for a short period of time. And in some of the video games, it's called beast mode, right? Where you're just like, oh, you can do all this stuff, and away you go, and you're, you're like impenetrable and invincible. And this is what the high priest goes into because it's all for show, right? It's all for show. So Jesus says, I am. And he could have stopped right there with that sentence, and that would have been enough for the high priest. But it wasn't enough for Jesus, because Jesus is going to take this opportunity to teach the religious elite how to properly interpret both a psalm and one of the prophecies in the book of Daniel. (laughs) Like, I don't know if you have ever been around a group of Bible scholars before. They do not like to be embarrassed. (laughs) Okay? Especially in packs. Let's collectively embarrass a group. Like, no, 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 no. This is not the way they like to be played. So I'm going to read this prophecy, and I'll jump over to a commentary that kind of uh, puts this into a little bit of perspective for us. So I am, and you will see. So future indicative. This is going to happen. This is a, a, a prophecy about the future. You will see the Son of Man. So who's the Son of Man? Jesus. This is his favorite term for himself in the Gospel of Mark. You will see the Son of Man seated. This is the first thing. And seated where? At the right hand. Like the right hand. What's so important about the right hand? Well, this is, this is, uh, this is the important spot. Right? The left-handed people, if you go through the Bible and, you, and you, you stay on the lookout, especially in the Old Testament, for the left hand, it's this derogatory insult that's like, yeah, and he was left-handed. Like, what, what, is it, what does that have to do with anything? Like, what in the world? Well, the Jews ate with their right hand, and they performed something else with their left hand. And it was not a clean thing. And like, if you were primarily using your left hand for everything, this was associated with being dirty and not clean. I mean, just all sorts of negative stuff. So right-handed people rule. There's no spot for left-handed people. Uh, so seated at the right hand of power. Now, Jesus is doing a circumlocution here too. 
But he's not talking about being blessed. He's talking about power. So in the power dynamic of the courtyard, who has the power? Well, let me ask you this. Who does it look like has the power in the courtyard? Looks like the whole religious structure has the power. And Jesus comes and he quotes the Old Testament saying, I'm going to be sitting at the right hand of power, which means I have all that power too. He's flipping the literal power dynamic on them through this particular quote. So you see, seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. You're like, whoa, time out, time out, time out. How can you be seated and coming with the clouds of heaven at the same time? Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus say he'd be doing these at the same time? No, not at all. And all kinds of people get wrapped around the axle trying to force fit both of these into a, they simultaneously occur. My, my, the best one that I read was, well, the father comes in a chariot and Jesus is seated in the chariot in the clouds as he's coming. Where is that in the Bible? <laughs> like, do, did you feel the theological gymnastics that had to occur to try to, for, like, just quit force-fitting things, right? So the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds. So I'm going to give you some, some verses to look at in the Old Testament here real quick. This is uh, Schnabel. It's part of the New Testament uh, Tyndale series. Um, I like what Schnabel says about once every two months. Because the rest of the time, as far as like where we're at in the text, the rest of the time it is so shockingly complicated. Um, I just, like even his sentence structure is complicated. It's just, he's, I have a feeling he's one of those guys that if I ever met, I, it, I wouldn't be able to have a conversation with him. He's just too smart. Yeah. So this is what he writes on page 384. He says, Jesus speaks of himself as the son of man, not in terms of his rejection and death, but in terms of his glory and power albeit in the context of a legal trial that will lead to suffering and death. The phrase, you will see the Son of Man, comes from Daniel 7.13. So you want to jot that down somewhere. Now, I will, I will tell you once again, I am terrified of prophecy. It is difficult and confusing, and we are not... You, you feel free to open the book of Daniel and go read all the way through and see if you can make sense of 7.13. Uh, I was not able to. Uh, the phrase, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One... Mighty one would be the power. Uh, comes from Psalm 110, verse 1. And then the phrase, coming on the clouds of heaven, again comes from Daniel 7.13. So Jesus takes the first part of 7, Daniel 7.13, splices in a little bit of Psalm 110.1, and then finishes up with the rest of Daniel 7.13. And I will tell you, be very careful trying to be like Jesus like this. Like you... We will end up with some really wonky theological positions. If you take a random Old Testament verse, pop in the middle of some other Old Testament verse, and then fin like it's, let's leave this one to Jesus to do. Okay? I just, I just, just want to be very gentle here. So the word power is a circumlocution for God. We talked about this in a second ago. In Isaiah 9, 6, the coming Davidic ruler is described as wonderful counselor, Mighty God, right? The, in Hebrew, you can also translate that as the powerful one instead of mighty God. So sitting at the right hand would be the position of greatest influence beside the king. So how is he seated 
and how is he coming at the same time? Those are not the exact same event. So we'll be seated at the right hand, and he will be seen coming with the clouds of heaven. Now the question comes, how does the Caiaphas see these two events? Because Jesus tells him, you will see this. So where in the past or the future will Caiaphas see Jesus seated at the right hand? Judgment seat. There we go. Check. That one seems pretty straightforward, right? Okay, great. Where in the past or the future will Caiaphas see Jesus coming with the clouds of heaven? Say, say it louder. Armageddon, okay. Is Caiaphas going to be alive at Armageddon? You're like, dang it, how do we... Now, how do we force-fit Caiaphas somewhere into the future, right? When he calls up all the saints, he calls up everyone, right? I mean, so there's, there's these, when he comes... Everybody's actually going to see that which is kind of weird and wonky and odd at the same time. But all of humanity, even the dead, are going to see him coming because it's happening and it's really fast and a blink and a trumpet and all sorts of you know, all this. And I don't get how it all is going to work, but Caiaphas is going to see it. Jesus tells Caiaphas his future. And Caiaphas loses his mind. He tore his garments, and that's where we'll start next week, Lord willing. With the high priest doing something to the high priestly garment that was not supposed to be done. It was not supposed to be done. So, next week we will begin, Lord willing, with Mark 14, 63. And if your head hurts the rest of this week thinking about how Jesus told Caiaphas his future, and that it actually hasn't been fulfilled yet, that's okay. Jesus has made some other promises that he has not fulfilled yet. But the yet's the key word, not the not ever. So that's our lesson for today. You should have a weekly update at your table. So if you make sure that your name is at the bottom of the page there, uh, that would be fantastic. Take a section, pray over a section, and after you have finished praying... You are free to go and to worship this one who had the patience to wait until the exact right moment to reveal who he was in front of the entire religious structure of Israel and tell them not only the truth about the present, but the truth about their future. And he knows the truth about our present and the truth about our future as well. What an amazing Jesus he is. Thanks for coming today, guys. Thanks for engaging, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.